We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Hamm, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me today... Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham. Mr. Cunningham, how are you? I'm doing well, Mr. Ham. Uh, I'm worried about Brendan, though. He looks like he's in some halfway home, um, maybe in another country. Have you been Have you been abducted, sir? <laughs> uh, of course, Sean is talking about Brendan Nunez from the King's Pulse podcast. What's going on, Brendan? How are you? I am doing good. Uh, yeah, currently in my halfway home and just, you know, plugging along. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay I, I you know we'll support you you know what's actually day. great I, yeah i love the fact that he didn't answer until he was properly introduced which was fantastic. I, I, I had a slight audio issue but yeah uh it's hilarious it looks like uh someone is gonna like waterboard brendan right after we're done here <laughs> he is kind of up against a blank white wall uh so no one can tell where he's actually being held captive um, all right, we've got plenty to talk about here on the King uh, the King Speed podcast. Uh, but first, let's just take care of some of the business stuff, which I forgot last time. And it's funny if if I don't directly ask if you're watching today on YouTube, can you give us a thumbs up and subscribe? Then realistically, people don't, and so it's kind of a, a funny thing that happens. Uh, also. Uh, tons of new subscribers on the King's Beat. Thank you so much for everyone who's jumping on board. Uh, we've been pumping out content like nonstop, uh, you know, and this has been a wild up and down roller coaster ride of a first, what are we, nine games into the season. Um, so I expect more of the roller coaster action this week. Uh, but uh, thanks for jumping on board and sticking with us. Um, all right, guys. Uh, I think we have to start the show with Sean's favorite thing, which is Tuesday overreactions. Mm. Uh, I thought you were going to say the rain. Yeah. <laughs> well, Boy, the rain am I is miserable. Falling. I'm just a miserable <laughs> bastard right now. 
You sidetrack us with Sean and the weather. I knew this was going to happen. Uh, I've taken uh, two COVID tests to be to be safe, but I am uh, just all allergy medicined up because when the when the weather changes, I get all weird. My voice it sounds like I'm going through puberty again. So this is fun. All right, fun times. Yeah, uh, it's okay. Um, yeah, the rain is wild. I can look out the window and um, like the is lake fills up. Uh, no, but it's been super cold. So right now it's 41 degrees. Oof. If it's gonna if it's gonna continue to rain, I will get snow because it's got to be 38 to actually turn into snow. Um, and if it starts, you know, raining a bunch here in the next couple hours, we could see the temperature drop pretty quickly. Um, weird though, isn't it? Uh, the weather changes, and just like when the weather changes, I have a tendency to injure my back. Uh, so that's, I am laid up as of right now. I did not make the trip down to San Francisco with these two fine gentlemen, um, on, on Monday because of my back injury. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's get to the Tuesday overreaction, which is the NBA officials are out to get the Sacramento Kings. It's clear. It's clear as day. Uh, I mean, it's happening right in front of us every game. Um, what are you guys thoughts? Uh, you were both there in San Francisco to watch, um, a, a strangely called game. There was, uh, first and foremost, the final, you know, couple of seconds of the game, there's a clear and blatant foul right in front of an official with Kevin Herter raising up to shoot a three-pointer that uh, could have tied the game. Um, he gets hit right on the elbow. Uh, he gets pushed on the side, hit in the elbow, and then hit on his follow-through by Clay Thompson. And the official swallowed his whistle and allowed the uh, the Golden State Warriors to come away with a three-point win. Now, a lot of things would have had to have happened for this to work out for the Kings. Uh, first thing was a whistle would have to be called, which it wasn't. Second, Herter would have had to hit all three free throws. And then it would have pushed the game into overtime. But this is the second time in a week that the Kings have been jobbed by the officials that were standing right there watching a play in the final seconds of a game. It happened in Miami with uh, Tyler Hero. Now it happens with Clay Thompson. Um, just you guys were there. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on what happened there? Well, I'll go first because uh, I think the Tyler Hero thing, last podcast we had, you called it an egregious non-call. And I disagreed. Uh, it was okay. I know it made for fodder on the um, on the, on the the comments in the YouTube section for sure, which are always thrilling to go through. Uh, I, 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 I didn't say it wasn't a travel. I just said, I didn't think it was egregious. I think, you know, there's some people just like to get in their feelings about it, but it's okay. Um, this one, James egregious, absolutely egregious. Um, it, it, Brendan can attest this. I know James, you've been to chase center where our media seats are. And mind you, I had a camera. I'm shooting that, that, uh, that final play in real time. And the angle that I had, it looked like he might've been fouled, but I even remember talking to our buddy John Dickinson coming off. John was like, he didn't get fouled on that, did he? You didn't think he got fouled on that, did he? And I said, I haven't seen the replay yet. I said, but no, I, I don't, maybe not. I said, I don't know. Not, not enough to, not enough to, I don't know. Not in real time for me, uh, even with a camera from the angle that we had, seeing the replay, oh my God, just mugged. And you know what? That official had a much better angle than Brendan and I did and John did up in that media section, which is very far away, I should add, uh, down in Chase Center and kind of at a diagonal but uh yeah that was that was egregious um even the travel before that uh with with steph curry uh 
really found myself shaking my head on that one. That one I did see in real time, unlike the uh, Tyler Hero one. That one to me was a little bit more obvious, egregious, if you want to use those words. Um, but officiating right now is just absolutely trash throughout the NBA. I've seen a lot of games already that I've you know found myself just shaking my head at. And as we all know, whether you're a Kings fan or an NBA fan, when the when it gets down to what we like to call nut cutting time, and it's a final play, referees swallow the ref- their their whistles for some reason. And Pat Freyer, uh, Natalie Sago, and Matt Calino, I think is his name, is the those are the three officials refereeing that game in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, shame on them. And and I I can understand Mike Brown and and Kings fans' frustrations. Mike Brown had thought had the perfect quote: "It's it's tough being a Sacramento King sometimes." And it is, um, but certainly there was really poor officiating throughout the entire game. It was really bad against the Warriors, especially early on. And uh, Demona Sabonis still kind of going through it. But um, yeah, man, officiating is is rough right now. Yeah, Brendan, what are your thoughts? And, and we can even throw in the other missed call, which was one of the most atrocious things that I had ever seen around the four or five minute mark, where. Steph Curry got a ball off about, I don't know, a half second after the shot clock expired, and they didn't review it. The coaches are yelling and screaming at him, and they can go back and review that at any time. And then they made some, we're hearing some excuse that they couldn't review it because there was no stoppage and it got within the final two minutes. And if anyone knew that rule, the Kings would have just called a timeout and said, hey, wait, we need to go back and look because that's two points that need to come off the board. But anyway, Brendan. Yeah, I honestly don't remember that, or in live time, didn't recognize that one, um, the shot clock violation that you're talking about, but saw the replay afterwards and, and definitely see what you're what you're talking about there. But the foul on Herder was obvious to me in, in live time. Like, I thought he got hit on the elbow kind of across the forearm. And just for Herder to miss that bad, like, I know he was leaning and everything, but for a guy like that to be that far off and it was short and to the left, which makes sense if he's getting in the, hit in that direction with his arm, and then he wasn't able to fully follow through, I, I thought, at the top either and kind of got his hand hit there. Um, I didn't really mind the offhand from Clay all too much in his side, but I, I see how that just adds to this whole thing that was going on. Um, it was it was a tough night. I mean, I don't like to focus on the officiating, but like we're left with no choice with some of these. I mean, there's definitely other parts of the game that I'm sure we'll talk about, and I think there's... Uh, really notable things throughout the course of these games, but it's so frustrating for two of these to happen on the very last play of a game in two games of this four-game road trip. Yeah, I mean, the Kings are three and six. They easily could be five and four, uh, easily. And I, I mean, we don't know what would have happened. Like the Miami game, the travel was four seconds left in the game. I mean, it would have been Kings ball, side out of bounds, with plenty of time to get it a shot it was a tie game so like that may or may not have gone to overtime this game may or may not have gone to overtime you still would have had to win it the king still would have had to figure out a way to stop steph curry who had what 47 points incredible Uh, he he is so incredible and I, i think you know you talk about things where mike brown says the right thing has the right thing to say uh his comments about steph curry I thought we're so spot on. Like he said, he's such a great human being that the basketball gods often shine down upon him. Um, I I thought that that was like really, really interesting to hear, you know, a guy who worked with Steph Curry for the last six years say something like that. Um, But uh, like 
it, it's difficult because you're watching the players. I mean, the players came out on Twitter. Kevin Herter came out and and spoke up on social media. Uh, I think De'Aaron Fox uh, retweeted something. Um, and we still haven't heard of a fine for Mike Brown for last week. So I'm almost at the point where I'm looking around like, is the NBA going to do anything about any of this? Because first of all, they're besmirching the name of your officials every time they sit there and unload. But secondly, your officials deserve it. Like this is so if that's where we're going, though, if it's okay to to speak out and to be like like to call an official out, then like that's just counter to what we've seen from the last couple of decades from the NBA. They typically smack someone with a fine as soon as they open their mouth about something like this. But again, I, I don't think that anyone can. How can you when it's twice in a week and two really, really good games where the, the Kings were battling and fighting and, you know, you come up empty. He's also doing it in a very respectful way, I feel. Um, you know, I don't – he's not losing his mind. I mean, he probably internal, internally he probably is, but the way he's communicated it I think is pretty eloquently. He's not, uh, you know, walking up to the He says, with official. all due respect before he says it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do the <laughs> with Ricky all due Bobby respect. thing. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ricky Bobby was Talladega Knights, Brandon, played by Will Ferrell. Uh, so, one. but <laughs> the – the but I, I you know also just to keep it like just it it should be noted too like the last two minute report for as crazy as it is to try to hold their officials accountable obviously it doesn't change anything but they won a game in Orlando where several calls went their way down the stretch and really screwed Orlando and it's worth noting it's right there in the in the in the two minute report as well so um, that's a there game that they won. Five mistakes, five yeah. mistakes in in the Orlando in the final two minutes. Three of them went to the Kings. Two of them went to Orlando, but five yeah. mistakes. And it, like, and it's look. It, it, I'm just trying to point out that it's not just the Kings. I know it feels like it's just the Kings because everyone's so invested in the Kings, and this is the King, Kings beat. But uh, you know, again, it's the officiating is really bad right now. And um, I understand. You know, I knew what I was doing in the last podcast, saying it wasn't egregious because I didn't think it was. To be fair, but I knew people were going to get their ire up and and really get pissed off about it as they should. I mean, look, I I, I get people being emotional with their team and and you know if they feel one way that's fine you know we can still disagree and that's that's one of the fun parts about you know here on election day right where all sides can get along and have differing viewpoints um but yeah man it, it's tough man i hate i'm like brennan you guys know it i i hate talking about the officials it's warranted right now it really is um miami game it was just you know tough shit this one is really egregious and Pretty disgusting, and I don't know what the Kings can do. People ask me all the time, like, like, what can they do? What what ramifications? What recourse do they have? Um, you just complain about it. You complain about it. It's funny being in the locker room last night. I think everybody, player wise, uh, they were wearing it, man, and they said they they kept their words brief and didn't you know didn't want to go down that road necessarily. I mean, Kevin Herter didn't want to talk about it. Uh, he also kind of avoided the locker room for the longest time until uh, the bus was ready to go. And, and as he popped in, you could tell he didn't want to talk about it. Um, but chatter among the players away from the cameras and even messages I've exchanged with people, they're just, they're fed up, man. I mean, some of these guys are just, I, I, I mean, I almost think you might see a guy purposely in the next situation, especially if they're on defense, just mug a guy. Uh, just knowing that 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 these calls don't happen down the down the stretch and in a final final play scenario. So, 
Um, they're, they're really upset, and uh, they should be. But the silver lining is, despite all that garbage, you're two and two on a road trip. You're coming into a uh, – you look like you've kind of turned a corner in a, in a weird way. I think they're playing better. I think uh, for the most part, uh, you they, they're figuring out the rotation. Some guys now find themselves out of the rotation, uh, at least last night with Rashawn Holmes. And uh, there's a lot of things that uh, are being tinkered with right now. But I kind of really liked what I saw from this team last night. And despite all of that, still had an opportunity to 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 steal that game defensively. That fourth quarter was crazy, but that's a legendary performance by Steph Curry. I don't think we give that enough credit, especially being the first player. What was it like eight eight assists? better than seven uh, rebounds, whatever it was, and no turnovers in a 47-point outing. That's to be the first NBA player to see that you were witnessing history. I mean, yes. There's also an aspect of him not having any turnovers as the Kings not playing very good defense. Like, Steph was amazing, and that was honestly one of the more entertaining parts of being there uh, last night as just somebody that kind of grew up around Steph, I guess. It's just crazy to see him go nuclear like he did in 17 in the fourth. I think Wiggins also had 13 in the fourth. That's 30 right there between the two of them. Sacramento only had 25 themselves. Um, But I thought there were just like too many stretches where the Kings defense on Steph was pretty poor. Um, It it seemed like maybe they were trying to limit everybody else, but he just got comfortable early. And I I think that's what some of the guys talked about post game. I think it was Malik and Davion. Um, where he just got a couple nice looks early, and once that guy's in a rhythm, Steph is Steph is Steph, and he's gonna go crazy, and it's exactly what he did. Um, I, I think to Sean's point, I like that we're starting to get a better feel for what this rotation looks like. I, I think there's been some ups and downs for certain guys, and there's been a lot of variance. I don't think we did our last pod after the Orlando game, um, but I the lineup variance between those two games when Orlando's running out four players that are 6'10 or taller and Kevin Herter's playing the two and then lineups against Golden State where their backup five is like Jonathan Kuminga for short stretches and then you're playing with Kevin Herter at the four like there's lineup versatility and I don't love every single minute that you're getting from everyone on the floor but I think that the rotations have been interesting and I like that we have more of a sample size to talk about now with this. Yeah, I kind of, uh, you know, I know Mike Brown likes to look at the season in five-game increments, but just the way that this season has started, we kind of have to look at it in four-game increments. Like, they start the season 0-4, then they go on the road trip, and they go 2-2, and and it kind of feels like every four games we need to check in on, like, how are they doing. Um, And and I agree with you guys. I I think, like, everything that we're seeing, um, which is something I wrote about on, on Sunday the adjustments that they're making. Like, when was the last time you saw a Sacramento Kings team make adjustments in the third quarter? You know, we saw it in Orlando where they were getting trounced, absolutely trounced. And then what we saw from De'Aaron Fox in that Orlando game in the, in the fourth quarter, of this the third quarter, the fourth quarter, and the overtime session where he scores 28 combined, it was just crazy. I mean, that was like watching a guy literally backpack a team and change the entire complexity of, of the game but also, I want to give Mike Brown props here. I think he's feeling the game all of a sudden with his rotation. He's starting to get a sense for what is working and what's not at certain times. And, you know, like, I've been a guy who's hard on Chemezi Metu. If Chemezi Metu will come in the game and shoot three times a game and, and worry about every other aspect and not worry about getting his, 
then I think he can be a real visible player for this team. And that's what we've seen both in Orlando and then again, you know, against Golden State. And it's the second time we've seen it against Golden State where he comes out and really, really plays well. Um, but I really, I, I'm starting to feel like Mike Brown is is calming down and getting a little bit of a like a feel for who and what his team is. Are, are you guys sensing that? Yeah, I mean, I am. Uh, it's kind of what I was alluding to, and I think, uh, look, it could be, it could look a little different three, three next three games from now, just the course, way things are. Yeah. are. But I do feel um, it, it, with these, with this road trip in particular, and you kind of see what's working, what's not. And I, I, I do, I do disagree slightly with with Brendan because I felt like, I actually felt like up until that fourth quarter, the Kings' defense was pretty good um, most for most of that game. I felt that second unit match the physicality well uh i felt like they um offensively were uh able to match point for point practically uh the, the lead slipped um and you knew that team was going to make a run um I, I know that was a really tough 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 uh late call where chemezi metu and and davion mitchell kind of screwed up there uh and it's happened in consecutive games and i know mezzi told me last night about you know him and davion talking about that and mike brown jumped them i mean they were they wanted to to trap, but didn't want that much time to come off the clock. And leaving 1.3 just was was a killer right there. That was a tough one right before the end of the game. Um, but yeah, I, hey, the, Sean, walk through that ahead. because I, I think that that's something that people have asked. I, I wasn't there. Uh, like if I was there, I would have right. asked questions about that specific. Like why in the world did you you knew there's 22 seconds when the ball was inbounds? Why did you wait until there's 1.3 seconds left to actually, you know, get? And my my like the reverse that I'll just say, the Kings got a good shot. Like the Kevin Herter shot that he took, maybe it's 27 feet, but that guy's shooting 50% from three. I'm okay with him taking that shot. I don't think that it really at the end of the day mattered how many seconds were left. Uh, I think that if the official is not going to call a foul, then it doesn't matter if you had eight seconds or if you had 1.3. Uh, the 1.3, I think the one thing that does change is it allows for a bang-bang play like what happened and where an eight-second, like they probably would have fouled the Kings and made him send him to the line to shoot two as opposed to three. But anyway, Sean. Yeah, I mean, once the shot clock went off, you know, they knew, I mean, they knew they were going to get it to Curry and everyone's going to think that they're going to foul him. They wanted to be able to trap. They wanted to be able to force him into either travel, some sort of turnover at that point, and that by virtue of not fouling right away, then you get three guys around him, but you, you wanted to foul around, you know, f right around five seconds is I think where they wanted to be four or five seconds. However, however that had worked out. And uh, yeah, you could see just the, the way the bench reacted to it was, was pretty tough. You see the way Mike Brown reacted to it. And it was just a miscommunication really between Mezzi and Davion Mitchell. So um, yeah, it's just tough, man. Like, like, also, there was moments where Draymond Green in in the play before that, you know, just shot clock is winding down, but you should have just fouled him right there. You know, once he had touched the ball, that would have been a, a way you still had your timeout left as well. So um, those are just easier things that you hope that guys gain with time and knowledge. And um, those are just time and what is it? Time and possession. You just have to know your where you are in the game and, and, and all that. But um, but I, do, I, I just feel like really – you know, the, the way Malik Monk played the, uh, in the last game, um, the way he played on this trip for the most part, especially as a playmaker, 
but defensively to me is where things have really kind of, you know, cause they were just awful defensively for the first four games of the season. That was to be expected. You, you hope you were hoping you weren't going to see them that bad, but I feel like there has been strides made in that regard. Um, they're small. They're not, they're not like world beaters or in the top 10, but it's just a little bit of small incremental steps. Oof, yeah. I don't know that I feel, uh, too great about the defense but when it when it comes to that last uh trap I, I liked the effort like I thought Davion was was really good in that game against Golden State I actually thought taking him out and putting Terrence Davis in was a little bit confusing to me I thought Davion had been playing well um even if maybe sometimes he I, I think he tends to do a little bit too much on offense his defense um there's really no perimeter defense like it on Sacramento's roster and that's something that they've really struggled with throughout the course of this year. Um, and and then Mezzi is the best defensive five they have on the team. And, and Mezzi's not a great defender himself. I, I think it speaks more so to their other options, not exactly being great. But I, I liked what I've seen from Mezzi there and the switchability that he provides. Um, and I thought that on that trap that they almost got or it looked like they had an opportunity to maybe get close to getting an eight second call in a, in a backcourt. Um, when Steph first passed it in, but Mezzi didn't quite get there for the trap. And then afterwards, yeah, they took forever to to finally get that done there. Um, but uh, yeah, I did just want to take a sec to to say that Mezzi's been playing well because I know I've been really critical of him prior. Um, and right now, I, I'd much rather see Mezzi minutes than, than Rashawn Holmes when it comes to the backup five. Yeah, the home situation is becoming a situation. And I, I don't know what to make of it. Um, just the way he played against Orlando... Uh, it forced Mike Brown's hands. Like, he had no choice but to go away from, from him in the second half. And, and then what we saw, you know, where he doesn't even sniff the court against the Warriors. Um, I'll, I'll put a little bit of a, on it uh, that Shemezi that Metu did actually play really, really well in the first uh, Golden State game. He's the guy who's on the court while they make this, like, wild second-half run. And so I'm, I'm going to say, like, Mike Brown probably thought he saw something there. And I think what he saw was that when they do bring in Metu, that they can switch all five players. And, like, every position is slightly switchable. Is it perfect? No. But it's much better than what he's getting out of Rashawn Holmes in that specific situation. So I'm not sure that we're going to see the same thing when the, the Kings go up against another, like, like crazy long team on Wednesday in the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, we might not see him as uh, or we might see him the whole time. I'm, I, I still think that Mike is trying to figure out that whole aspect, but what do you guys make of, of the fact that Rashawn Holmes just feels like right now, it feels like him and Harrison Barnes, they're just getting left behind. Like everything else <laughs> is people are doing something and, they're allowing things to happen to them. That's what it feels like. You know what I mean? Like they're they're not going out there and putting their imprint on any game. And it's very, very noticeable. And the only game this season I can remember Rashawn Holmes actually having an offensive, a, a strong offensive game was the Warriors game. And he got absolutely torched by Weissman. Like for every point, for every rebound he had, he gave up that to a guy who's barely played in the league. And so I don't know how you fix it outside of starting to look for other options. And and to me, I didn't think we'd be saying that nine games into a season. I know there's still plenty of time, but it's a mess. Yeah, I'm not worried about Harrison Barnes. The, the side about him not scoring is 
especially against the Warriors, to walk away with no points in that game, really kind of a head scratcher. Um, I, I don't get it. I, th- I I would say I thought he played well, uh, decently well in the in the Miami home game here in Sacramento. Um, after I mean, he felt it felt like he was trying to get things together a little bit. He realized that okay, I need to, I can't just let the game come to me. I need to be a little bit more aggressive and assertive within this offense, especially defensively. He just is what he is. Um, I'm not worried about Rashad, or excuse me, Harrison Barnes after nine games. I kind of, I feel like he will figure that out. Rashawn Holmes, on the other hand, is a bit of a head scratcher. That one to me is, uh, I, I. If I'm Mike Brown, I'm looking at Harrison Barnes and saying, "Nope, I'm going to still stick with you. You're still my starter. Uh, we'll give, we'll see what this looks like ten games from now." You know, I think you can afford to do that. With Rashawn Holmes, bringing him out of the lineup for a few games might be the best thing for him. Um, he may lose a spot at that point. Maybe four, another three, four games. You come back to him. I think it will be situational. I can certainly see him playing a factor against the the way you know Cleveland plays with with so many bigs, um, but. <laughs> he's he hasn't looked James he hasn't James Brendan Brendan he hasn't looked right for over a year I mean he didn't look right last season even before the injuries uh we were all kind of wondering you know what the hell happened so um I, I can't put a finger on it but at a certain point it just is what it is at this you know with with Harrison we know that he can impact a game in, in several different ways and, and with Rashawn we've like I said it's been better part of a year now to where he just doesn't look like himself, doesn't look like the guy that came over from Phoenix and had those two very, very productive years. Yeah, Brent, I, I, I want to ask Sean, I want to ask Sean to follow up here though, um, before, because I, I, I want to hear your thoughts, but there is a follow up here for Sean. I know Sean gets information and, and Sean talks to people and Sean is, you know, as tapped in as, as I am, as, you know, as anyone is in Sacramento but and you, no. <laughs> well, no, no. You had heard very specifically that Rashawn Holmes was in the running for the starting job alongside Sabonis. And Sean, I don't get it. Everything that I, every time I've asked the question, I've had this conversation with, with those guys, they've never once played together. Like Rashawn Holmes and Demonis Sabonis have never practiced to get on the same team. They've always been against each other. And I'm just very confused about what's happening there and why, like, there was never a moment where they they didn't even give that a shot. So, like, while I know you heard things that that was a possibility, it feels like they didn't even try it. Because if, if you're not going to try it in practice, then what are we doing here? Well, and part of me thinks the people that you would hear that from did belief go away once you got around Rashawn Holmes and saw that he might not be the player you thought he was? Um, or maybe the roster isn't built the, the the way you would have hoped it would have been built to to be able to do that at times. Right now, I just support don't think him. there's support, a... Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. I don't you. feel like there's a... Um, I don't feel that, that they look at it as an option strictly because of the personnel that they have right now. However, uh, I... I you know, I don't think it's totally uh, been disregarded. I think they just want to see. I think they want to see if Rashawn is able to come back to a player that they are used to seeing. And for whatever reason, it's just so inconsistent. Now, I asked Mike Brown about it last night, and he talked about how Rashawn Holmes, the minutes are just 
you know, so low for him to really find any rhythm. And here he is now out of a game, uh, you know, an hour after I asked that question to him. So maybe another game, maybe he plays Wednesday, uh, especially against a bigger lineup, bigger team. Uh, we've certainly seen Demonis Sabonis in foul trouble, but to the point that, you know, Brendan had made, you know, they can't, they, they are unable to play the same way that the way that they play with Demonis Sabonis. And when he's off the floor, asking Rashawn Holmes to do that is not, he, it's just not him. So they have to play differently. I don't know what the solution is. I think he, he flourishes when they run fast. I think he flourishes next to a guy like De'Aaron Fox. Um, we've seen that because we just know what that looks like. But um, he's really been rendered almost just a completely inefficient player at this point. So uh, I know it's still early, but again, I'm more concerned with Rashawn because it has lasted, in my opinion, more than a year. Last year, he didn't look like himself even before those injuries took place. Yeah, Brennan, I'm going to I'm gonna set it up to you this way. We keep talking about there not being like a natural lob threat. And then I watch Malik Monk throw that ball up for Chemezi Metu, who that was absolutely incredible. Metu went through like all kinds of defenders to catch and hammer a ball down. Like that's a Rashawn Holmes play. That's So I can't say that they can't do it when Monk keeps showing you that he can do it, just not with Rashawn. So I don't know how you want to answer that, but like that's one of the like instances where I would point to and say, okay, my hands, I, I throw my hands up. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean, I think that they aren't doing Rashawn any favors from my perspective, and I think it's kind of what, what Sean was just saying as well. Like they, they can't play the same way, but it seems like they really want to. Um, and, and that would cause everybody else to play differently. I, like, I think that when Rashawn was playing well, and I do think that he had moments last year, I think he had a 2020 game against Charlotte. Um, he, he had a couple moments throughout last year. And I guess that I was more comfortable riding off last year with everything that he had going on and all the different injuries and COVID and blah, blah, blah. He just had a ridiculous year going on. Um, but I, I think that last year's offense was kind of a mess and, when he's just able to either be in transition or be in a basic pick and roll, which then causes there to be two or three other just spot up shooters who aren't really touching the ball, which is the exact opposite of what it seems like Mike Brown wants with his whole making decisions in 0.5 seconds and ball movement and everything that Holmes just looks like he's like struggling with the timing on figuring out when is the right time for him to go set that screen and making sure that he is setting a very, very solid screen, even if, he's not going to get the ball right afterwards. Um, so I, I think that like the offense definitely doesn't do him any favors. I think they would need to play differently to your point, James. Like I think Malik is a really capable pick and roll ball handler. I think we saw Davion be a capable pick and roll ball handler with Damian Jones a lot at the end of last year. And I think that's still there. So you could try that. Um, but defensively on the other end, it's like, why is it that when Mezzi comes in, that then it switch everything like in my mind Holmes was a good switching big I would try it like why not try switching everything with Holmes he doesn't seem like he wants to be this at the level and kind of dropping and trying to figure out that proper distance he's been really really bad in that scheme and part of that to me feels like effort or engagement maybe that that's unfair to say or just maybe he's not comfortable in that system but I would try switching with him a little bit on defense and and just try to do things differently for him because I think that what I've realized throughout the course of 
last year, this year, and and this is still early. I'm probably jumping the gun. It's just I think that you have to really play for Rashawn, and that maybe changes the way that some people could could value him. But I think that when you do play for him and utilize his strengths, which also means hiding some of his weaknesses, that there's still a solid player in there. It's just that Sacramento system right now does not fit him at all in my mind. Yeah, I do believe that a lot of it is a system that he's either not picking it up, he's not buying in, or it just is not built for his skill set. Like, and I get all of those, like not the buy-in thing, but at the same time, you signed a four-year contract and uh, the team traded for a two-time all-star at your position and gave away your job. Um, I I don't even know if gave away your job is like Sabonis is going to be the starter no matter what, but it feels like there should have been a competition for some of this stuff. And it it really feels weird that he's just kind of left out and, and, and hasn't been able to look like himself at all. And that's talking about, I mean, Sabonis leading the league in fouls for the first six or seven games, fouling out of three of the first six games. Like, you keep talking about he doesn't get enough minutes. Well, there were minutes there if he played well enough. There were plenty of minutes. And it just didn't happen because he wasn't playing well enough. And so I think going forward, it's very possible we're going to see a little bit of Messi. I think it's very possible we're going to see more Trey Lyles because I think Trey Lyles can be a small ball five in certain situations. And then at some point, um, I, like I'm not to be rude to Alex Len, but like I'll keep saying this, the one guy who does kind of play a little bit like Sabonis, who has some of the similar types of skill sets, man, I would be getting Namias Keita as ready as possible. And I know that sounds crazy, but I would get him stretched out and ready to play and have him, you know, down in Stockton playing, you know, as many minutes as possible and running every bit of the offense through him to see if he can pick up the idea of being that offensive hub and setting those high screens that the Kings do in their offense under with Sabonis on the court. Because, like, when Sabonis steps off the court, Holmes doesn't have that skill set. Chemezi Metu does not have that skill set. Alex Len might have a little bit of that skill set. He at least knows where to set the screens and how to get guys open. But Kata is probably the closest thing. And so, I, I don't know. I know that sounds crazy for me to be talking about a two-way player nine games into the season. But, I mean, the one thing this team needs is a shot blocker. And that guy's a beast. He'll block shots, but he can give you some of the other things as well. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, look, Stockton begins their season. Uh, they, or they just have, and, and, you know, their home opener is Thursday. They'll have back-to-back Thursday, Friday. So, you know, they, he just needs to get some reps. He needs to get reps in Stockton before you can really bring him up and rely on him for any minutes, especially min- meaningful minutes. I do think that um, as it pertains to Mezzi, though, I think you got to give him some credit, man. I mean, he just – he went out there, he, he's done it his way, and he's he's earned it. I mean, he's impactful in most of these games that he's out there with. And uh, I think he – it's it's not only impactful in just the game, I think he has a really positive result on a lot of his teammates as well when he's in the game. He is kind of a mistake player, though, as we've seen. And, yeah, James, I mean – Go back to last year. Who's the guy sometimes hitting the table when I'm going? Oh my gosh, here we go. He's he's hoisting a three, but he's gonna have look. Every NBA player is gonna have the most confidence in their own ability. Uh, like I said, he's done it his way. He fits the system pretty well, and his ability to defend and and just not wreak havoc in such a way, but just disrupt. 
I think is what has made him more relevant. And it's just a real shame that, that if you're a fan of Rashawn Holmes, you haven't seen him take advantage of the opportunity when given to him, like a hungry player, uh, Chemezi Metu is currently. And you know what? Rashawn used to be that guy, right? Rashawn used to be that guy who was hungry for it. Maybe that, you know, the four-year contract, who knows, some guys get comfortable, who knows what happens, but this is Chemezi Metu now. He's he's trying to find his own four-year contract, and uh, he's right so far. You know, I've liked his, his his impact that he's had on the team so far. I'm gonna biggest... I'm gonna be a contrarian here, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm gonna say, Sean, I don't think that Chemezi Metu's done it his way. I think the one thing I, I think that he has bought in, which I did not think that he would, but I think he's bought in. The reason why he frustrated me last year was Chemezi Metu should never take nine shots in the first quarter off the bench, ever. Yeah, there should yeah. never be a way unless all nine of them are literally dunks. That's the only Jay, time that he should. We're, like. we're actually saying the same thing because, again, that was a Luke Walton system a uh, little bit different. I think he it was just such a free-flowing system that Luke tried to implement compared to Mike Brown, who's going to hold you so much accountable detail, and he's familiar with it. With with you know obviously stuff that he's he's experienced with Mike Brown with with the Nigerian basketball team as well. So, um, I like I said, I think he's done it his way to a degree, and and yeah, maybe I'll I'll kind of caveat it there because this is a system he knows, and he knows how to be impactful within the system. And Mike Brown is obviously comfortable with him, and um, for whatever yeah, reason, I, I think it's the. For whatever reason, I think it's the details in this system that that because again, in the comparison of, of Rashawn Holmes, I don't think it's as simple as maybe he's not getting Mike Brown's system because, like I said, I don't think he was that great last year, and it was a regression from the year before. Um, so I don't know. I, I think he, he's just a, a total X factor at this point where you don't really know what to expect from Rashawn Holmes, and I just is long-winded way of just saying I really like kind of the impact that Chemezi has had. He's still a very confident player. He's still going to go out there and find his. It's just, yeah, you're right, not the nine nine shot attempts like we saw at one point. <laughs> yeah, I think my only point was a lot in the four games that he's played minutes in the season, three shots, four shots, three shots, three shots. And this team has a lot of scores. What they don't need is another one coming out there looking for his shot. They need them to do the other things. Go ahead, Brendan. No, I was just going to kind of echo that point. Uh, that you made right now and made a little earlier. Like, I think the biggest thing is the amount of shots that he's taking and just being out there and, and doing all the other little things. Cause my frustration with Metu minutes previously was just feeling like he was kind of calling his own number and trying to maybe prove that he deserved more minutes rather than just trying to do his best in those specific minutes that he was on the floor. And uh, I think he's done a, a good job of that as of late. Um, We'll have to see kind of how he continues to um, and just what the rotation looks like. If he ends up getting sat for a game or two and they favor Holmes because of whatever matchup, how does Mezzi respond to that? Like, we'll, we'll have to kind of see how this all ends up shaking out. I don't know that I'm looking at Mezzi yet and I'm like, he's a staple in the rotation, but I think that he definitely has a shot to become that. And right now, I, I think that we'll probably see him moving forward and and I think defensively like offensively like we talked or like I just said is I think he's just doing less weirdly or not doing too much um which has been good and then defensively like Holmes has been poor on defense I think Sabonis has been pretty bad on defense too 
I think he's been in okay spots, but he's been really handsy. I know he's gotten some tough calls, especially at the beginning of the year, but he is pretty handsy and, and he's getting himself in foul trouble. And the whole trying to be at the level of the screen when it comes to their um, screen defense, like Sabonis just doesn't move great with with his hips when he's kind of backpedaling. I, I think that Mezzi is weirdly their best defensive five and obviously Mike Brown really values defense and in the center's most position most important position out there on that end of the floor yeah I would say I think Sabonis has been better uh defensively than people have given him credit for um like the advanced like the offense rating defensive rating he's like a 121 offensive and um defensively he's like a 111 uh and, and for this team I think when he steps off the court the Kings are in trouble. Their offensive rating is 114.7 when he's on the court, 108.2 when he's off. So he's a plus five and a half there. And then opponents wise, I guess uh, when he's on the court, the off uh, the opponent's offensive rating is 116. And when he's off, it's 112. So they are slightly better offensive. I mean, defensively uh, when he's off the court, but still um, like, I think he's been better. The problem is that you have to, he has to have help. He cannot be your shot blocker because he's not a natural shot blocker at all. And he doesn't have the length to, to block shots. You need, I mean, like we talked about Orlando before, like how many guys are on Orlando would look great next to Sabonis? Like half of their roster. You're like, Oh man, if they only had even like Mo Bamba sitting over there on the bench, Mo Bamba can shoot the three and he can block shots. Uh, bull bull. Like what in the world was that? Like what? Like bull bull. Like, that's that bowl, was bowl. so fun. That was that's so fun to watch. And well, that's what he does. But except for he's never done it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's you're like, holy cow! Like Bull Bull can actually play. Yeah, I mean, man, I was super excited, especially as someone who watched Manute play live when I was young. I was so excited to see that, and it was like, oh my goodness, where did this? And then the Kings figured it out. Yeah, they all look really, really good and really, really long until you bury your your shoulder into them and just drive them off the court and that's like the adjustment that they made i i the orlando game i fully attribute to fox being great in the second half but what sabonis was showing he could do in the first half where he just all of a sudden was like oh paolo bancaro i'm gonna back you down ball. all the way yeah, into the basketball it, it, it i think that that's what the coaches saw they're like oh man these guys aren't ready for that go go get physical with them and and that's they got a little crazy, but man, how many guys on that roster would look good in a Kings uniform just because they're the right type of guy that this Sacramento Kings need. Uh, and I think that they're going to have to search out a guy like that. Um, let's see. We keep, let's stay up before we switch to guys who are playing well, let's just finish off with the last guy who's struggling a bit. And uh, this is a, one of those weird touchy subject things, but um, Keegan Murray hasn't played well for the last like three games. And just from what I know, there's something going on behind the scenes, uh, like off the court. And I don't want to get into it too much because it's family business type stuff. Uh, but he's got some distractions, some things that are that are uh, like just he could use some thoughts and prayers. The family could use some thoughts and prayers right now. And I'm sure we'll eventually hear some of it. But uh, for right now, I think that like this is a 22 year old kid on his own for the first time. He just had his first four game road trip. He's losing for the first time, um, and he's got something going on that is a distraction for, for him and his family. And uh, so just a bunch of love going to Keegan Murray. He'll snap out of it. Like, 
you guys have seen him play long enough through summer league and through preseason and even the first couple of games of the season to know this is this is a really talented player. And uh, I think he could just use a little bit of love as opposed to uh, us breaking him down ad nauseum and, and like the errors that he's making on the court. I don't think his head's 100% there. And hopefully that will, uh, it'll clear itself up eventually. These things happen, right? Yeah, and for sure, whatever he's going through, for sure, like that's, you know, positive thoughts his way of, obviously. But uh, I think the most encouraging thing is he's not making an excuse for any of it, you know? No. I think, look, you're, you've got, life coming at you fast um you're nine games into an nba season where you've played a a lot of games in a short amount of time that's different um you also have scouting reports around you um things the nba tends to adjust so he'll he'll do likewise and look it's not going to be he's a rookie in this league it's not every game where it's going to be um one of those games where you're going oh my gosh look what this kid did again so um I only say that because we've seen this happen to Kings rookies in the past and sometimes expectations can get wildly unrealistic for some people. And I I always just say, enjoy the moment, enjoy what you have in Keegan Murray. Clearly you kind of know what he's good at already. And yeah, he's kind of going through some adversity. So see how he bounces back from it, see how he responds in the face of that adversity. And it'll begin Wednesday night with the Cavaliers. Yeah, yeah. Of, of course, wish, wish everything the best for him and his family and, and whatever's going on with that situation. Um, but I, I think just when it comes to his play, like he's just a rookie. I, I mean, like he's not going to be good at chasing Paulo Bancaro through screens or, or having to work through screens guarding a 6'10 guy like that. He's not going to be, of course, it's not shocking that he falls for the Draymond fake, fake dribble handoff when Steph has 45, 47 points. Maybe he already had at the time and he's so focused on Steph. And then you kind of get that like patented Draymond fake. And, and that was within the last I think that was the second to last bucket of the game for Golden State. Um, so I, I think it's just like typical rookie stuff when it comes to that. And, um, you know, what? maybe maybe there's other things affecting him off the court as well that and i'm sure it being his first nba road trip we talked to him after the first golden state game that was his first back-to-back he had been playing heavy minutes and he said that that was had been an adjustment like i'm sure that this entire process is an adjustment i think that we've seen a lot of positive things from keegan um and and i'm not really worried he's he's obviously a huge piece of this team moving forward and I, i think it's typical for for rookies to have some some slip ups and even for the most NBA ready guy in the draft, if if you want to call him that, which seems fair, um, maybe some other names in there as well. Like that doesn't mean that they're going to come in with no flaws. Yeah, and, and I'll say this too: like I, like coming into this draft, like I thought Keegan Murray and Paolo Bancaro would battle for the Rookie of the Year, and if I were putting money on it, I would have given it to like Paolo Bancaro a pretty substantial edge, just because he's going to put up offensive numbers. Like he, he is going to put up a bunch of points and like, I don't think anything has gone like outside of what's what you would expect. This is kind of how you expect things to go. Even when they move Keegan to the starting lineup, you go from like a first or second option with the second team to the fourth option. And like, I don't feel like he's willing to accept that he's a fourth option and he's not waiting around and and all that stuff. I, I feel like, that's one thing with Harrison Barnes. He's almost accepted that he's the fifth option. And that to me is really strange because it's like a lack of uh, 
just like aggressiveness and like trying to find trying to find a spot for yourself a niche in this in this rotation and and how you fit while playing 30 something minutes 32 33 minutes i know he only played 22 against uh golden state but like there's going to be some some hiccups here and there um but uh that i think that's going to bring us to our uh, our final big topic which uh will make it the business of basketball um the business of basketball uh like I don't want to uh, like throw so much heap, like so much praise on Monty McNair when his team is three and six. We can look at the record and see how it easily could be, you know, five and four or four and five. But um, Herder, home run. Uh, Malik Monk is turning into like a really, really solid like double in the gap. And I, I think we can say the same thing about Keegan Murray. Uh, this is about as good an offseason as I've seen in Sacramento where they clearly found three of their top six players in one offseason, and I didn't think that they would be able to do that. Uh, and I feel like they, you know, there's even potential that they could have done more. But after watching Monk play the last couple of games, after watching Herder play for the first, you know, nine games where he's just, it's been excellent. Like, to me, could he have had a better offseason? Is there something that you guys think that he could have done, that Monty McNair could have done to have a better offseason? Because as of right now, just what it looks like on the court is pretty stunning. I'll play the other side a little bit. Like, I, I think that Herter's been great. Malik's been great. Um, but I think there are some, like, big question marks. Like, we still don't know if the Tyrese and Sabonis trade is is a good deal I, I think that's still tbd and that's a huge question mark that could end up looking really good for sacramento and, and or they could be on the other side of of how that ends up looking like harrison barnes hasn't looked great and if his value has been getting lower and and you were just kind of sitting on him rather than moving him last year or the year prior then then maybe that's a a little bit of a questionable mark on money. And I think you could say the same thing with Holmes. Like, I, I think that there are other aspects that I still could, I, I see how people could pitch the, you know, we, we should slow down a little bit with Monty. I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I like the moves that, that you all laid out, but I think that there's definitely still an aspect of like, this team could still not make the play in. And if that doesn't happen, then how are we talking about this offseason? Because right now I really like the moves, but I, I just still feel like it's early. Yeah, I mean, Brendan just nailed it. And I also think the only thing I'd add to that is, uh, yeah, you can always do better. <laughs> Monty McNair says the same thing. I mean, well, of course. Uh, he, no, I he, agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, these acquisitions look pretty good. I, know, I mean, let's rewind about two weeks ago. We were wondering about Malik Monk, like, all right, when are we going to get Malik Monk? You know, when's he going to show up a little bit? So, uh, Oh, he arrived. Yeah, man, he arrived and he's and I thought he was sensational in this road trip. Uh, it kind of reached a, a, a boiling point last night with the Warriors. That's the, I mean, the way he played with the Warriors is to be honest, the kind of, maybe it's not a 24 point outing, but, uh, at least 15 every single game is is what I'm expecting from him. And uh, I love the playmaking. I really do. Uh, Herter, there, there's a reason I was excited for him when he came over um, with that trade. Uh, I, I I knew it from day one. He'd be the, the starting two. And 
it's a it's a there's a lot to like. It really is, and I I love the fact that he gets uh, a lot more touches here than he had in his previous stop in in, in Atlanta. So uh, he's a big time player, man. And these are the type of players you're going to need. Uh, I, I like the quality depth that they've added. Um, sure, Monty, Wes, Vivek, they all deserve credit for that, but. They're all in bed together, so you gotta you're gonna see this through, and you're only nine games in, and again, you're unfortunately at the record you have, um, but you can't play. You know, you got to go out there and win these games. So they've had a pretty brutal stretch. It's not getting any easier uh, with with Cleveland uh, coming up, and then what do you got another Laker game, and then the Warriors again. So it's uh, <laughs> how about that though? The Warriors, you get three of the four times like in the first few weeks of the season, and then won't see them again until April crazy yeah and i think both times you felt like they lost because the warriors were the more experienced team and had just been together longer and had more flow i kind of want to see what that last game even one of the last games of the season but then again the warriors could be done at that point and already have their spot secured so you might not ever see it you know sort of the who the warriors are and who the kings can be um, it, it is really weird to see them all play each other in the uh, three times in the in the first thirteen games. I think it is, and like, look, I, I'm not like saying that that Monty is is perfect coming out of this, but what I am saying is that like this team had at least like three or four rotational players that they needed to add to this roster, and I don't think that anyone thought that this thing was done, and it's it's not like a complete puzzle. At this point, you're still looking for a couple edge pieces. Um, but at the same time, I'm surprised how much damage he was able to do. It's whether or not he got enough uh, on draft night. It's whether he gave up too much in the harder trade that stops him from doing something else. Um, I, I think the Monk, the Monk pickup is looking absolutely brilliant. And I think one of the things that makes the Monk trade even look, I mean, the Monk uh, free agent acquisition even better it's just the smile that you see on De'Aaron Fox's face. Like having a friend here on the court, I think has actually meant a lot to him and, and kept him like in line, uh, you know, focused on, on the task at hand and all that stuff. So um, either way, I mean, do you think the, the Kings are going to be active or are they going to be active soon? Because at this point we're already seeing some cracks where um, maybe some guys aren't living up to expectations of what you expected from them. And it's a standard thing in Sacramento where somehow your veterans always seem to be the ones that struggle. And I'm not sure why that is, but how many times the Kings have brought in a veteran and then they don't look anything like where they've looked anywhere else. And it feels like two of their veterans right now just don't look anything like what they looked like even last year or the year before. And those are incumbents. Those are guys that have been here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's harsh. Yeah, I don't you know think about they'll be soon for I don't know about soon for any moves, but like I, I think it's same old story. You need a wing. You need a forward. Like they could really use one more. And and maybe that just means Harrison and Keegan end up playing well. Um I, I say not soon because I think this is just a whole new system, new coaching staff, a new group of guys, and it, it's just too soon to as much as like I'm maybe I'm skeptical of a uh, Harrison Barnes or Sean Holmes, like I, I think we're very far from saying that they're in too deep and not able to turn it around and and figure out their spots in this system or the coaching staff figure out the best way to optimize them and complement the other players on the staff. So I think that 
definitely give it time, but I would imagine at the deadline with how keyed in this team is on ending this playoff drought that that would mean probably buying something prior to the prior to the deadline. Yeah, just echoing what, what Brendan said, just I feel like you know what you need nine games in. Um, I feel like you've known what you've needed even at the starting training camp. Um, I think you're also relying on some guys to play above their heads a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it's discouraging seeing some of the guys not fall into the role that they've had designed for them. Uh, it's probably going to be some more tinkering for this coaching staff to, to try and figure it out because – I don't see a move on the horizon uh, necessarily. And what I mean by that is I think you're going to get through Christmas with essentially this, this roster. So um, short of, I think short of that, so short of something going catastrophic, catastrophically wrong, which I don't think will happen. I think they'll, they're going to be able to hover around, hopefully hover around 500, stay within three or four games of the 500 mark. Uh, hopefully better than that. If you're a Kings fan, I mean, hopefully you're, you're, hopefully you're much better than that, but I, I think that they'll commit to making some sort of move before the deadline and uh, trying to address some of these needs. I think they're right now it's they're really hoping that the coaching staff can get some of these players to look more like the player they thought they'd be um, and, and hope some of these guys emerge as a possible uh, meaningful rotational player that they can be a, a, a major cog. But I, it's just so early that, that so much is – janky right now and it's uh you've got some you've got some quality depth and that's a good thing but you've got a lot of pieces that you're still figuring out and I think the I don't think tinkering is going away with Mike Brown I we, we predicted that it would come out of training camp it would uh we would see it definitely rear its head in the season and that's what's happening right now and I think you're going to get to probably into December well into December uh with a little bit of figuring out still going on but hopefully by that time you start to see things kind of smooth out a little bit and I think honestly this road trip uh might be the first sign of that that's one of the reasons why I was so encouraged with how they've played they've been in practically every game they've the the competitive nature is there the ball movement is fantastic I mean you look about years past I mean if you're a Kings fan you're through the roof with the way the ball's moving so um spacing is can still be an issue at times and you certainly haven't seen the best of Demonis Sabonis. I mean, he's a guy that I'd lump right in there. I mean, he needs to start looking like himself. And, you know, it's crazy because he's had some great scoring games. He's had some great rebounding games. And I still think we're like, man, if Demonis was only this, 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 or, you know, whatever, you know, that's just how he impacts the game. So um, I still don't think you've seen the best of him. De'Aaron has been otherworldly so far. And, you know, I get asked all the time. It's so funny how many people really want him to be an all-star as if that's like the big badge of honor for the Kings. It's like, no, just if the Kings take care of business, you know, the other th- like Keegan Murray said about starting, if I take care of my business on the court, everything else will take care of itself. It's hard for a Kings player to become an all-star. We know that. We've documented that, um, especially if you're a guard. But it's, if he keeps up the scoring that he's <laughs> that he's had in this early going, uh, we've seen stretches of Deer and Fox playing well. So um, to me, it's not even the scoring. The scoring is impressive. But, James, that I mean, guys, we were talking about – uh, a game, I think it was the Miami game when they won here, uh, how much he, he didn't score a ton in that game, and I thought it was one of his best games of the season. Yeah, the just what he's doing as a rebounder, um, you know, the way he's shooting, he's shooting 86.4% from the free throw line mm. right now. This is a career mm. 72.8% shooter 
and that's including this season's number. He's shooting 54.5% from the field, 37.2% from three. And I'm going to throw a couple of more numbers just to, because like, look, I, I think that there is this, this interesting upward trend that I think we're seeing from the Sacramento Kings. Right now, the Kings are 15th in the league in offensive rating. They are 7th in the league in assist percentage. These, that's huge. They, defensive rebounding, the Kings lead the league in defensive rebounding percentage at 76.4%. That is nuts. Uh, effective field goal percentage, the Kings are 7th. True shooting, the Kings are 7th. Pace, the Kings are ninth. And a lot of that came in the one the one game that Fox missed. Like, that game was so slow, it was ridiculous. But, like, all of those numbers on the offensive end show you that this easily, by the end of the season, could be a top 10 offense, maybe even a little bit higher than that, maybe like a top 8. That's crazy. This team has a ton of potential, and if they get a couple of these other pieces firing, especially, you know, a guy like Harrison Barnes, like that could be very, very impactful for this team. So I, I think there is some good stuff to kind of point to. Um, shouldn't be all doom and gloom. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts? I, I think we're good today. Uh, the back just won't let me sit here for much longer. But uh, Brennan, we'll start with you. Final thoughts. Uh, like Sean mentioned a little bit earlier, the G League did just start its season with a game against South Bay Lakers. I didn't catch it yet, but just want to shout out DJ Stewart's 31 points off the bench while everybody else in the starting lineup gets double figures. So looking forward to watching that one. The starting five is pretty interesting. I, I guess I'm a guy that gets uh, too caught up on, on these uh, second round guys and, and fringe players and possibly becoming rotational pieces. Uh, but I, I think that Stockton's roster is pretty interesting with DJ Stewart, Jordan Ford, Keon, Nimi, Wessa Wundu, Chima Moneki's playing there a lot. Alex O'Connell, Jariah Horn still on that team. Christian uh, Terrell, Terrell, Sean? Christian Terrell, yeah. Terrell, my apologies there. Um, but I, I think Sakai. that they have a really entertaining roster. Jordan Ford, don't forget Jordan Ford and uh, yeah. Folsom High School and also – you know, Adi Murky would have been on that team. He actually tore his meniscus uh, during camp, so he's got he still be with the team, but uh, not on the. Oh, I missed roster. that. When did that happen? Yeah. yeah, it did happen during camp. He had a meniscus injury, so yeah, it's is a, it it's tough. Adi or is it a day? Uh, it's a day? Uh, Adi. It's a day. Sorry, what did I say? Adi. Yeah. I meant Adi. A day. Adi. A day Murky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. Sean, do you have any? Do you have any final thoughts? Well, um, yeah, hope everyone got out and did their civic duty and voted. Uh, I know for Brendan that could be probably tough because, uh, oh, there's that. Okay. Well, is that the one they give you in the mail? What is that? No, so I, I went down and right dropped my too. ballot off in person. <laughs> um, Brendan, how, so last we spoke on this podcast. Brendan, the voting system then. is part of democracy in America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some think it's rigged, but... Uh, you know better. Uh, no, I was going to ask. I mean, <laughs> all the all of our fans and or fans that's nonsense. Our listeners um, heard that you got in a car wreck, and it's good to see you're doing well wherever you're held captive right now. <laughs> you should hold up a newspaper to make sure you're okay. And, uh, <laughs> but how is that? And going knock your for mic you? over if you're not okay, Brent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm being held hostage by NBA referees right now. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm doing totally fine. I, I don't have a 
the greatest car update, to be honest. I'm still working mm-hmm. through everything with, with insurance and had a couple other things going on. I locked in my new apartment, so that way I won't be in this uh, in this temporary situation going on too much. So eventually I'll have a nice, clean background like you two gentlemen here. Uh, give me about a week. But no, I, there's no current car update aside from I'm feeling fine and working through it with insurance stuff. I hope you got a bag. You got a bag, right? Just walk with that limp. Of course. And of tell, course. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm, I'm horribly injured, Sean. There you go. So and, that's and all your, the insurance company uh, needs to know. Your friend was okay? No, yes. horribly injured. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> they too are injured. Totally fine. <laughs> no, friend's they have totally a waffle, fine. waffle on their arm, the waffle mark from the airbag. For, wrist it all for some Taco Bell. Some crazy. Yeah. So crazy. That's right. That's right. Uh, okay. So my final thoughts. Uh, number one, it, like what Sean said, make sure you vote. Uh, I don't know if it's too late. Um, and, and good luck over the next, like, I don't know what, like use the, the King's beat podcast as a way to escape because this is going to be a wild couple of days of, of, uh, election coverage. Um, so good luck there. Uh, but also a big, big shout out to, uh, Peja Stoyakovich's son. Is it Andre? Andre. Uh, Andre, who is going to Stanford, got a, a scholarship to go to Stanford to play basketball, uh, absolutely spectacular. He had all kinds of offers on the table, and this happened to be the one that he chose. Uh, top 25 recruit. Uh, that's what I was reading. Oh, that's pretty substantial. Um, so big shout out to uh, to him, who, again, like I've covered this team for a long time and watching him be around uh, and go from like, you know, a young kid that, you know, to that gets towered over by his dad to you know, like a six foot seven, like legitimate prospect who probably will hit six foot nine, six foot 10. It's pretty, it's pretty special. So uh, it's great to see him, by the way, he's a Jesuit kid. He's going to Issa Silva is still there. Uh, and it was Stanford. He's another Jesuit kid from Sacramento who was a pretty big recruit uh, a year ago. And Canon uh, Carlisle, who's one of the big recruits that also Stanford got along with Andre, it's going to be a Jared Haas has a nice, nice, uh, team over there with stanford i think it's gonna be fun to watch over the next couple years sweet and uh does sac state continue to win it seems like they just keep winning right football they did how about uc davis by the way they opened their season and they beat ucla that's pretty crazy in basketball yeah but yeah sac state uh sac state football continues to to dominate and, and they're gonna they're gonna butt heads with the uh with your uc davis aggies pretty soon Coming up Ooh, in Causeway, uh, in a week, Causeway yeah, Causeway Classic. You and gonna that's go? To go ten and zero, right? Um, you know, I've never been to the Causeway Classic. Uh, maybe I'll go. I just don't know that I can sit anywhere for any length of time. Oh yeah, good call. Point. Yeah, we'll prop yeah, you up. So. We'll give you like one of those Hannibal Lecter things uh, in like that uh, in that dolly. <laughs> just, just maybe wear that mask. <laughs> yes, will you win? Hannibal Lecter, Brendan was Silence of the Lambs, is played by Anthony Hopkins. He won an Oscar. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brennan doesn't know. Brennan doesn't know. Brennan doesn't know. I've got. Uh, okay, so we'll, we'll close with this. No. Uh, I've got some. Uh, me and uh, Jim over Brickhouse Industries are working on some new uh, Kings Beat merchandise. Um, oh. I, I I think I've got some uh, some good ideas flowing through the head uh, of things that we can we can uh, you know. That, that will make fans uh, laugh and that uh, you'll want to jump on board. We still have um, some ponchos I, I, for Sean. Yeah. 
There we go. Some what? Some ponchos. Ponchos for the rain? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ponchos. 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 Interesting. <laughs> um, also, let's see. Uh, off the record with the King's Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part 10 um, is still in the works. Um, for Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just see, kidding. that would Just make kidding. perfect <laughs> sense. We always do it on Thursday nights, right? Uh, it's a matter of fitting it into the schedule and getting a guest that uh, that fits, especially after last month's uh, episode with Katie, which was absolutely spectacular. Uh, we'll find someone to uh, to roll this week, uh, this month. Um, it just depends on when we can fit it in, especially with the holidays coming up. Um, okay, so uh, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. Uh, make sure to give us a thumbs up if you can. Uh, subscribe, subscribe to the King's Beat, the newsletter, uh, become a premium subscriber. So you get invites to things like the happy hour. Um, and you get to read all of the things that we're writing and all the podcasts that we're doing here at the King's Beat. Uh, so for Fox 40, Sean Cunningham and Brendan Nunez from the oh King's Pulse podcast. I'm James Hamm, King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. See you later this week.